We're looking at the, the lifetimes and the work of uh, none other than Brett Whiteley, the fantastic Australian painter. Ashley Wilson is a journalist and the author of a book called Brett Whiteley, Art, Life and the Other Thing. Good morning, Ashley. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Pat. How's it going? Not too bad, thank you. All right. Uh, what Great a fascinating talking about Brett. Yeah, what a fascinating character. Hey, it was quite ironic. A couple about ten minutes ago, we had a caller from Lavender Bay, which was uh, almost uh, well. Yeah, I mean, moment. the um the the suburb has now become synonymous with him, right? That um, yeah, Lavender Bay is known as as Brett Whiteley Country or Wendy Whiteley Country now. But um, there was a time when, of course, um, it wasn't like that, and there, there was actually another artist who was. Better known with that part of the world, a, a, a man called Lloyd Rees yep. is around the band in Northwood, and Brett was a massive fan of his. But it, it's kind of extraordinary, though. Like 31 years, I was just thinking this, have, have passed since he died. And um, still you can uh, say on the radio at 4.37 in the morning um, the name Brett Whiteley and not really need much introduction. It's a fascinating character, isn't he? You're right, the artwork is sort of as fresh as it was 30 or 40 years ago. It's, it has yeah. seemed to have aged very well. Well, the, um, the, the the strange thing about Brett is that his celebrity was both the amplifier and uh, of, of, of his work in, in that it obviously um, brought it to a lot more people, but at the same time really... Um, obscured some of the the, the, the talent at, at the core of what he was doing, and uh, it's sort of it's sort of taken all, all this time that's passed to to see uh, for that smoke to clear and to see clearly um, what it was he was all about without some of the mythology that he himself helped to um, help to spread. You know, one of the things that amazes me about Brett Wiley is the diversity of his art. Um, stylistically, I mean, sometimes you sort of enter into this sort of Gauguin, Van Gogh type uh, colourful impressionism. Other times he's doing sort of Fred Williams type landscapes. Then he's making these amazing sculptures that uh, sort of have got their own identity altogether. He really um, tried out and experimented in lots of different areas of art, didn't he? Well, I've got to say that these are all names that he'd be very happy to hear you invoke in his um, company. And he was also um, someone who who referred to a lot of these artists from from throughout history, a lot of the time through, by their first name, Vincent for Van Gogh, Piero for Piero de la Francesca, um, as though they're old mates, just, um, you know, they're all hanging out. And in a way, he saw himself as – he was very conscious of his – um, of, of his spot in in the history of art, and I suppose his ambition was to write himself into that. And if I can take you back to all the way back to 1959, when he won the, um, it, it was a, uh, it, it was still 1920, and he just won won the Italian Art um, Travelling Scholarship at the Archive of New South Wales. Um, to that point, he hadn't really done anything. Um, uh, as an artist beyond the occasional sketches and paintings and it, it was more of a hobby um and he won this scholarship and um and drysdale was the 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 judge and one of his um his uh, one, one of the, his compliments was that brett had not yet settled on a style that he was he was a hummingbird <laughs> character jumping around yeah. and uh Robert Hughes made the same point some years later that uh, that some people saw his unevenness as a as a as a weakness, but um, but 
a lot of people who who knew this stuff saw it as the opposite that mm. he wasn't going to get um kind of boxed into a corner and that that's a real talent you can see that going down the track yeah most definitely that's, that's a good way of putting it, it wasn't going to be boxing in a corner also he was, ex- he was experimenting he yeah was totally yeah looking and at other ways rest- of expressing himself and, and you know, presenting his art and, and the the restlessness of of Brett Whiteley is something that um was with him from a kid until his his death in 1992 yeah. and um you know and I suppose all great artists like that you don't really want to um, repeat yourself, and mm. and when you start repeating yourself, it gets pretty, um, uh, you know, unpleasant. Yeah. Look, I, I suppose that restlessness was apparent too in his lifestyle. That he was, obviously didn't have his feet on the ground, as a lot of artists don't. They're sort of a, uh, up in the ether somewhere with their ideas and their creativity. Um, and certainly, he was a troubled man in that regard. He s- suffered from addiction issues. There's no doubt about that. It's quite well documented. Yeah, and. Um Look, it, it's a funny thing that that um, Brett, at the, on the on the one hand, he he didn't want people to to be overly um, focused on that part of his of his of his life. That um, his addiction was his addiction, and um, he he saw his gift as a as a curse as much as anything, and an, an affliction. Um, and yet he was um, the the line between his art and his life was he often blurred it. Like he won the the Archibald Prize in the late seventies with a painting. Um, that was effectively uh, a, a self-portrait about himself trying to break free, break break free from the grips of heroin. Um, it it wasn't subtle, and it certainly wasn't secret. Um, um, his 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 addiction, and he was having these. Uh, he was wrestling with these problems in public, and um, I suppose that made for great copy as well as great art. Yeah, sure. Look, Trish says, you must visit Brett's studio in Surrey Hills, Sydney. It's a magical experience. Trish, I intend to do that at one point. It's right on my bucket list, that one. This morning we're talking to Ashley Wilson, who's a journalist and is the author of Brett Whiteley, Art, Life and Other Things. Good morning, David, in Yuki on the banks of the Tweed River. Good morning to you. Good morning, Pat. Good morning, Ashley. Thank you for mentioning me in your book, mate. Oh, uh, which David are we talking about? David Preston. Sorry. <laughs> oh, wonderful, David Preston. How are you? This, this is the, the artist, well. David, what a, David what a, Preston. Oh, you're, you're, I've seen your art, David. It's very good. Thank you, thank, thank you, Pat. Oh. I was. Uh, I've got a bit of a tear in my eye, and in fact, I'm painting a picture as we speak of Brett's. Um, sometimes studio in Millthorpe that he um, at his sister Franny's house I did it, I painted it there years ago and I'm just tweaking it I think it has a, a future at the National Gallery I was talking to them yesterday and we were talking about Brett let me say he had a great sense of humour just some things he never called anybody by their name it was always man hey man um, his favourite, you were talking earworms before, his favourite um, records that became earworms was for Bob Dylan, it was Empire Burlesque. He loved um, Laurie, Laurie Anderson, is it? Yeah, um, yep. I met, him, I met him at the Yellow House. I was, okay. sent, I was sent there to do an assignment for a diploma I was doing in fine art education. And the deal was to find an artist and write a report, do an interview. Well, he did all the interviewing. And his first question, it was under a plane tree. Jeez, this whole program has segued, hasn't it? <laughs> That's um, David. <laughs> it was under a plane tree in the back garden of the Yellow House. And I told him 
the nature of my mission. Uh, his first question was, Vice, nice to meet you, can you draw? At which point he gave me a pen, some blue water-soluble ink, and asked me to join him in drawing a picture of a bonsai that was one of his prized possessions. It was of a Morton Bay fig. And that drawing ended up hanging on the wall of the Yellow House um, in a room that was dedicated to pictures of that tree that were done by other artists that, that uh, were invited by Brett to submit. And then another segue, I, I shared a studio with him in Reby Place. I was his printmaker. And every Friday we would have lunch with Lloyd Reese at a little restaurant downstairs called the Shubley. And I could go on all night, and and I can't do that because this is a short program. Yeah, we'll just hang on, David, because I'll take yeah. up some of those things with our guest there. Uh, obviously, the Yellow House, a bit of a hive for artists in Sydney where they always to get together and uh, we were speaking to George Gittos a couple of weeks ago he was talking about the Yellow House and uh, it just keeps coming up. Stuart Coop mentioned it as well that he'd met Tiny Tim at the Yellow House because of course he was a big fan of the Yellow House and it all goes back to Martin Sharp and his influence on the Sydney art scene. Um, did Martin Sharp and uh, Brett Whiteley have a lot of uh, lot in common? Did they, they get together and talk art much, Ashley? Oh, they, they sure did and they... they um they, they, their affection for each other was incredible, and uh, I, I was fortunate enough to um, to talk to Martin shortly before his passing. And he was one of the first interviews I did for this book, actually. Okay. And um, and he um, he was so uh, that that Brett and and when uh, Brett and and Martin always had this kind of shorthand through art. Um, and they they sort of spoke to each other um, as old family members as well, um, in a way that the, the way they related to each other. And um, if, if I, I remember, like it was yesterday, Martin in his house there at Wirian talking about Brett with uh, a tear in his eye that um, all those years on, um, it it was just this, this wonderful affection. And and Martin told me a story about after the funeral, um, they were driving across the bridge and a bird was um, hovering above the car as they were driving a seagull or something. And he was like, yeah, that's Brett. And, um, but if if I can also just jump in with with, with the, um, yeah. the president, it's so wonderful to hear him. The, um, because the, the, and th- those stories from from the Air House were amazing. But he touched on the the Circular Key Studio, and a lot of my um, my insights from that that period were, were courtesy of David. He was he was a very generous, um, uh, 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 ge- very generous um, person to, to look back over through history and it, w- it was incredible and the amount of people I, I encourage and I'm still doing this David um, encouraging all these people to write their own stories because there's so many stories out there it's such a fertile period Look, yeah, David, he's just dropped off the line. I was going to go back to him and have a bit more of a chat to him because he, I remember I've spoken to David before and I've had a look at his art. He's a very good artist. And so he comes yes, from yeah. – I was interested to talk to him a little bit about the Yellow House, House stuff because it was, a, it was a very powerful collection of artists that, uh, that collected or, you know, gathered at the Yellow House. Pretty important um, art movement in Australia, not just Sydney. Yeah, and and the the strange thing um, when we're talking about Brett, um, 
it, the the yellow house was a story of collective creativity it was a um that was the whole point it, it was about all of these artists living and working together um for for the sake of a, a, a common goal which is art and but brett whose whose star was beginning to rise at that point um he he was happy to be involved but he was always um wanted to stay a little bit removed mm. um he didn't want to sort of immerse himself too fully into the collectivity of it um which was probably healthy I, and I, I could have my people wrong here but he did tell one of the young artists and it could have been david preston um that uh it was healthy and he should be keeping their distance as well like Indeed. just try to keep your own head david's actually yeah. back with us was that you david it was uh we got cut off hey. yes i agree with everything ashley has said um the Yellow House, uh, like Peter Kingston, he did a room up like a Magritte painting um, called the Stone Room. Each, each um, salon, Brett used to call them salons, they, they, they were dedicated to, um, to, to themes that were what we used to call a happening back in those days. The word was a happening. But it was a wonderful place. I was the runt of the litter. I used to go, have to go out and get the hamburgers. I joined the place late in the piece um, or, or became associated, but was there long enough to get a flavour of, yeah. of exactly what was happening. And Ashley's right. Brett was like Bob Dylan again. He was Bob Dylan was so big for Brett. Um, but, you know, Bob Dylan kept himself distant from the band. Yeah. Yeah, exactly Brett the same. Was a bit the same with the Yellow House. Exactly the same. The Yellow but House, a bun bunch of hippies yeah. up there in Sydney in the Yellow House all yeah, carrying yeah. on, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but may I say, Ashley, your book was spot on, and I met up with Wendy at the Regional Gallery up here in Merbar recently, and we both agreed that you'd done a wonderful job. Oh, gee, well, that's a pretty, oh, good, well, uh, pretty good review uh, there, David, it Ashley. could have been done. Yeah, it couldn't have happened without you, David, and, um, oh, uh, and I I'm, I'm very glad you took the time. Thank you. Thank you for um, dedicating some time to Brett. He deserves as much as he can get. Nice work, David. And look, uh, don't forget you promised me a painting one of these days, so don't forget you to send that You remember you mentioned the little red hat <laughs> it, um, lino cut? I did? Yeah. I'll send you one. Um, call me back and give me an address and yeah. I'll put it in the mail <laughs> right. today. I'm not sure if I can actually accept that gratuity, Dave, but I'd love to because your art is really good. Um, and, you know, it's, it's there you go. It, obviously hugely influential, not just amongst the artists, in Australia, but also overseas. Now, David mentioned Bob Dylan there. There is a connection between uh, between Brett Whiteley and Bob Dylan, isn't there? Well, they knew each other, yeah, and they yeah. were friends to some extent. Um, I, I'm, they, they hung out a little bit. Um, Brett was, I, I think it's pretty safe to say, obsessed with him, um, with his music. And um, I mean, who wasn't at that time, yeah. point? From but the, I mean, from you did spend time staying with him at the Chelsea Hotel, am I right? That, no, that. not the Chelsea, but later in Sydney, um, Bob made his way around to um, firstly to Lavender Bay, and um, Brett wouldn't let him in because they didn't know it was him. And, um, but later on, they, they <laughs> did spent he eventually a let him in? Or? Well, it was Bob Bob Adamson, um, a couple of others, and uh, turned up with Bob Dylan at 4 a.m. or something, yeah. <laughs> knocked on the door and, and said, uh, and Brett asked, Who is it? And it's, uh, you know, Bob, we've got Bob Dylan, and, and he obviously didn't believe him and said to go to hell. Go and like, the next day he said, why did you turn away Bob Dylan? Oh. I, I did what? <laughs> um, but a, a, a little while later, um, Bob Dylan did a 
press conference for a tour that he was giving. He actually did it at the Whiteley studio in Surrey Hills, which is a pretty surreal thing. It's on YouTube. You can find it to this day. Wow. And, and Brett's in the, in the crowd as a journo asking, um, quite highfalutin questions. And later Bob returned and they spent a bit of time in that, um, in, in that studio, and he was asking questions about painting and the art, um, and the craft of painting. Where, where's yeah. that available? Is that on YouTube or something? It is on YouTube, yeah. It's um, Brett Whiteley and um, Bob Dylan. You'll find it straight away. Um, I'm and I me- mentioned the studio because you mentioned it earlier. It's that they've got one of the things that's not really known about the studio is that, or not well known enough, is that it's a uh, they, they have a rotating series of exhibitions that it's not just a static um, history yeah. place. And um, at the moment, they have an exhibition based on the period 1959 to 69, which is really when his um, when, when he found his feet, his, his voice, and um, and his reputation exploded after he went. He left Sydney, and most of that time is overseas. So he went from Sydney to Italy to, to London to New York to Fiji and home. Um, and there was this great kind of rise and fall um, um, period. And um, you can really see through some of these pictures why he became so big so quickly and why um, he became the youngest artist to have work purchased by the Tate, a record that mm. stands to this day. Look, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, that, that time in America, because after the, the Tate purchased his painting, he went to the States and he, worked, he made a huge painting called The American Dream, which is a very, very impressive pa- painting. It's 22 metres long, I believe, He, but it wasn't shown. The gallery he worked with in New York refused to show it, and I think that was a bit of a kick in the in the backside for him and he basically left america to head to fiji after that so why do you have you ever found out why it was that the american gallery didn't show that particular piece of work well i sure have yeah so it, it's quite it's there's nothing like this painting it's really something else it's amazing um, for better or worse and uh, it's multi-panel he spent he was in new york and manhattan working on this on this um on this multi-panel work and uh it was it was in throwing all of himself into it in the most psychic um, sense imaginable. Um, but imagine the time it was 1968, 1969 in New York. Uh, that was that was a very, very turbulent time in American politics. And I mean, it is now, but it gives it a run for its money then. And, mm-hmm. um, and he was really, um, it, it was quite, uh, it was quite taken and, uh, uh, upset by the sort of social and political upheaval um, across the Western world. And he was trying to sort of reflect that in in his painting. But more than that, he was being a, charm, a, a creature of the 60s and the Chelsea Hotel. He wanted to use his painting to literally wake up America. And he thought that if he did it correctly, uh, people would see this painting and realise they were on the right track and correct. And he showed it to his dealer, a, a, a renowned figure called Leo Castelli, who basically took one look of it, look at it, and said, "I can't work with this," um, and said, "No." And was it was, Brad, it, the, was had, it the style or the subject matter? It was a bit of everything. It, it's uh, because it's it's uh, it's it's a sociological painting as much as a um of as much as anything and it just um i i don't there was no record of the reasons i written down for um for rejecting it but um all we know is that it didn't get close and he took 
one look and said it wasn't going to happen. And Brad Hood, who had invested so much of himself into it, um, deranged himself in a Rambo sort of way um, to to bring that painting to life. Um, couldn't believe it, especially mm. considering the, what was going on in the world. And um, and said, "Well, that's it." Packed up, flew to Fiji, which um, is is in the far right corner of the painting, um, <laughs> and left a, left Wendy and Aki, um, their daughter, to to follow, pack up the the, the apartment and, and fly across the world and meet him there. Meet him in Fiji. Uh, it's it's strange. I likened it a little bit to Jimi Hendrix's version of the Star Spangled Banner at Woodstock. It's got that sort yep. of element to it. It's obviously an anti-war poem, a painting, but it's not that obvious what it is. But it's a huge piece. Where does it actually sit now? That painting, the, uh, um, the American, it's, American the it's owned by the Art Gallery of WA. It's yep. not. Um, it's not on display. It's usually not on display, and it's a very um, straightforward reason why. Um, it's large. It's it's supposed to be. Um, held in um, uh, in, a, in a curve, and there is a, a red flashing light and um, and a siren that goes off um, in the middle of the painting because it's it's, it's kind of inv- evoking the the violence and emergency of of America. Look, and I imagine it would have been a bit of a slap in the face to him because he had fairly, you know big ideas and a bit of ambition and stuff and he sort of looked like he was about to crack it in America and all of a sudden he, he spent a year on this painting and they're not going to exhibit it. Uh, it must have been a hell of a shock to him and do you think it uh, affected his career in a negative way at all? Uh, certainly certainly did internationally. Yeah. Um, I, he, he was he was, he had a he was one of the big ones in big one, young painters in Britain when when he was in London. Uh, he was working alongside people. Uh, it, it was it was spoken alongside people like um, Hockney and Bridget Riley, um, and so his star was rising there. And there was a real chance that he was going to be he was moving in the same direction in America. He was showing with a place called the Marlborough Gallery, which showed Francis Bacon among others, uh, and this didn't happen. And I, I, I've sometimes thought that what if instead of sitting on the um on the side of sydney harbour painting um from lavender bay those beautiful pictures that really are the most sought after of his own his whole um body of work what if instead of lavender bay he'd painted the hudson or something? Yeah, that's what i was thinking um, yeah. I, you know we'll never know but um the flip side to this of course is um we, we know that uh when when he made his his fame and his reputation, he established that first overseas in London, New York, as I've said. Um, and uh, Australia has a funny way of um, respecting that. And when they returned in late 1969, having been kicked out of Fiji um, because of drugs, uh, which was a story that didn't hurt as well, uh, he was pretty much straight away a rock star. And people wanted to know what the deal was with this guy. Why was he um, so big overseas? And um, obviously his his work and um, his personality more than held up. Yeah, you know, certainly was the cause to celeb when he came back to Australia after such a after impacting the international art scene so much. Do you often wonder if he hadn't passed away, what sort of catalogue he would have left behind in the last twenty or thirty years? Uh, you know, certainly because there's that evolution. The fact that he, as I said, he experimented in all sorts of fields. Do you wonder where he would have gone with his art? Yeah, I, it's it's one of those unknowables, right? They, I'm, I mean, I, I find it quite hard to to picture him around these days in in, in a world that um, 
because it's a very different world of course like wendy is um is is so well known these days across australia she's like has, has almost like a statesman like um demeanor about her around town and um she's she's really well loved and the, the work that she's done with the garden is, is something extraordinary and but where I, I just find it hard to see Brett in this picture, and uh, I I've also find it hard to picture him as um, perhaps an elder statesman like the late John Olson. Like, um, mm. what, um, and um, and in in a way that you know I suppose like the, all of those you mentioned Hendrix, but the other people that died at, at the age of twenty seven, like Cobain and so on. Um, Brett died at not, at the age of fifty three, but um he sort of he predicted his his early death when he was younger he he thought he wouldn't get to become an old man like his own father and um he packed so much into those years though and it um that we you know we're, we're still making sense of it and still coming mm-hmm. to terms of with with his um his breadth of creativity because it um there's nothing really like it. I'll ask you about that in a second and his legacy. I just got a text here, though, from Graham in Lavender Bay, funnily enough. Uh, it says, congratulations to Ashley on his writing over some years now. He's a talented writer. I particularly enjoyed his essay on artists. So there's a nice little plug for you, Graham. And Sorry, <laughs> Ashley, I should say, from Graham. Uh, and, yes, the Ashley Wilson, who we're talking to this morning, is the journalist and the author of a book called Brett Whiteley, Art, Life and the Other Thing. What do you think, Ashley, his legacy has been on um, emerging Australian artist. Do you think an artist like a landscape painter like Fred Williams drew a lot from the work of Brett Whiteley and, and other artists? Uh, well, Fred, it was more the other way with Fred Williams. No. Um, and, uh, you know, Brett, Brett was the, that mid-century cohort of Australian artists, Donald Friend, Fred Williams, um, uh, um, and, and some of those other guys that Brett was was um, he he loved what they'd done and he was really eager to to mine everything they left them. Um, but for the younger artists, um, one of the, the 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 great pieces of his legacy has been the travelling art scholarship that his mother set up, um, and which can, has continued following her passing. Um, and it's it's a it's an annual scholarship held via the the Whiteley Studio, mm. and it offers to young artists the opportunity to do what he did, yeah, which and uh, run overseas a bit, which is a great thing. But I think more than that is that his legacy is uh, all the style and the art that he's left us. Look, we've got to go, Ashley, because the news is coming up. It's been oh, fascinating sorry. to talk to you, mate. Thanks for your time this morning. No, thank you. Ashley Wilson there is the author of Brett Whiteley, Art, Life and the Other Thing.